our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning we continue and come almost to the conclusion of our series called The Hall of Faith. And we've made our way through the 11th chapter to the 31st verse. And let's read it together. And by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. As we've been making our way through the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we've entitled this series The Hall of Faith, and we've been paralleling it with uh, walking through a hall of fame in our culture today. Looking at each of the individuals that God has listed as illustrations for you and I to encourage us not only to walk in faith, but to gain faith. To gain that faith and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we just simply don't believe in God, we believe God. And I do sense a difference between the two. It is easy to say that I believe in God. It is much more difficult to say that I believe God, and that is showing a daily trust and reliance and dependence upon God as we walk with Him in a relationship fashion, as Jesus used the word when He taught abiding in Him, which means continuing in Him. It's more difficult on that level to trust God each and every day than to simply say, yes, I believe in God. And so the writer of Hebrews gives us a list of illustrations by the example of individuals that God commended for their faith that they demonstrated in him. And often the individuals that we have looked at together on Sunday morning had very limited knowledge of who God was. And yet, even in the light of that limited knowledge, they were still faithful to the knowledge in which they did have. None of them had a written copy of the Old Testament to uh, look at and to uh, consult and to reference each and every day. None of them, of course, had the New Testament. You and I have the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, together to rely on and to reference each and every day. We have a full representation of what God desires us to know about Him in the Word of God. And yet we sometimes are less faithful to what we know than what they were faithful to in the little that they knew. And so today as we come to the last of the inductees, the formal inductees to this hall of faith, first it's one that may surprise you. In fact, every commentator that I read, every scholar that I uh, referenced looked at this last one in a unique and a surprising manner. For this individual found prominence in the eyes of God for the faith that she had executed in the very, very limited, and I'm going to say troubling knowledge that she had of God. God commended her for it, and part of that uh, uh, condemnation, commending was the fact that he saved her life, literally. We come to the last of these formal inductees. 
before we come to the um, kind of the trailer, the exit credits, uh, as we begin to finish next week, as we walk past the final walls of the uh, Hall of Faith here in Hebrews chapter 11, where several others are mentioned. But this individual gained individual prom, uh, uh, promise and individual uh, position even above individuals like King David and King Solomon. So who is this spectacular woman? Her name is Rahab. And as she is noted here in our text, she was a prostitute. Now you say, oh, this is an interesting example of faith. What does God have in store for us as we look at Rahab together this morning? As the children of Israel finished their 40 years of wandering, they were then ready to proceed into the land in which God had promised them, the land of Canaan. But to do so, they had to pass the stronghold of the entrance of Canaan, which was the city of Jericho. And that city was fortified by a major uh, construction of walls around it. They felt that the city was impenetrable due to the uh, incredible vastness of the system of walls that they had around uh, the city. And I say walls because it was a system of two walls with space in between it. And that space in between it was so wide that they could have chariot races upon it. And this was the system that uh, allowed for the defense of the city. And the city of Jericho and the people of Jericho were very confident in the stronghold structure of Jericho. And they did believe up until this point that it was absolutely unable to be conquered by any human force. I say that specifically because they didn't take a God-led force into consideration. However, though, when the inhabitants of Jericho got word that the children of Israel were marching now towards them, they had heard that 40 years earlier, God, the God of the Israelites, had parted the Red Sea before them, had given them victory over every an individual encampment and army that they faced during those 40 years, and now their sights were set on the land of Canaan through the way of the city of Jericho. And the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 2 that the people of Jericho became greatly afraid of the approaching armies of the Israelites. To the point that they use a phrase in the Hebrew that their hearts melted within them. They were terrified because they knew that Israelite was not fighting wars as if a simple human army would conduct a military campaign. It was their God who was going before them, securing the way and giving them the land in which he had promised to give them. And as Joshua made his way past the Jordan River, and they got closer to the city of Jericho, Joshua sent in two spies. And these spies entered the city and began to scope it out and detect the advantages or disadvantages that they would have militarily. And as a result, on their way out, they hid within a home of an individual whose house happened to be built in the walls 
of the city of Jericho themselves. This woman was a prostitute, and that means exactly what it means today. That was the service in which she rendered for a monetary price. And yet the spies came to her house to hide, and as they did, she hid them. Now, first she was bound by the uh, Eastern culture there in that time where anyone who came to her house as a visitor, she would be hospitable towards. They did not come there for her services and probably didn't even realize what she had done until they had met her. But as a result... She discovered that these were Israelites and they, she discovered that they were there sent in to uh, survey the area before the conquest was to begin. And as a result, they hid there on top of her roof when word got out that two spies had entered the city of Jericho. And while they were up there in the stalks, and what do, you, what do I mean by stalks? Well, the, often they used the tops of their homes to grow agriculture. That's where their gardens were. And so the spies were hiding up there. But she made them promise. And she said to them when she talked with the spies, we know who you are. We know that your God is going before you. We know that each and every military campaign that you have carried out has been successful. The conquest of the lands in which God has given you have already come to to pass, and we know that it's only a matter of time until he leads you into the land of Canaan. But when he does, she asks them this question, will you remember me? Will you remember that I hid you? And when the patrol of the city of Jericho came to her house looking for the spies, she even turned them away, lying on behalf of the spies. And it's not that God uh, condoned her lying. It was unnecessary. But she made a decision at that point that the knowledge that she had of God was going to be superior to the comfort and the life in which she was accustomed to there in the Gentile city of Jericho. She knew that the God of Israel was the God of all heaven and earth, and she makes that statement plainly and clearly. She knew that this God was formidable and there was no other gods before him. And so she then decided to align herself with the children of Israel. She hid the spies. She turned away the patrols looking for the spies. And the spies made the agreement with her that if she would simply bind a cord of scarlet around her window, it would indicate to the invading army of the children of Israel that this house was meant to be spared. And so Rahab, the last inductee of the Hall of Fame, is an individual that by all means should have never been named in the same sentences as individuals in the Jewish culture as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses. And to conclude with Rahab almost seems to be anticlimactic until you realize why the Spirit wrote the manner in he did, that he did through the hand of the writer of the book of Hebrews, He inspired 
Rahab to be remembered because her life was saved due to the faithfulness that she exercised towards the knowledge of God in which she had. The first century Jewish person reading this letter was in dire straits at the, at the moment in which they read it. They were in a position where they were hated by all and embraced by none. They had been persecuted by their countrymen in Israel, led out of the nation, and now were in Gentile regions. And in these Gentile regions, they now were further persecuted for their inability to worship Caesar as God. And as a result, they became nomads without any identity, without any homes, without any wealth. And they were living in the wilderness of the areas. Many then considering that this newfound Christianity was something that couldn't be continued within, and what's the point of sticking with it? Let us just turn back to Judaism and once again uh, uh, you know, adopt, or I should say, uh, regain our national heritage, regain our position and status within the populace, regain our wealth and material possessions, etc. But then the writer of Hebrews says, don't. There's nothing to go back to. For Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that the Hebrews looked forward to. He is the Messiah in whom they were waiting for. And though you are going through difficult times now at this moment, I write these examples of individuals who by faith overcame their incredibly difficult circumstances and allowed them to continue to move forward in their relationship and walk with God. And then thinking and considering Rahab, this is the conclusion they would have come to. Rahab was saved. Her life was spared due to the limited knowledge that she had of God. And as a result, God was faithful to the promise made to her. Joshua specifically tells the invading troops of the Israelites to save not only Rahab, but each and every person that she had in her home that was covered by that scarlet ribbon. And as a result, her life was spared. It's amazing to me the grace of God. I don't think we could ever fully apprehend and understand the full concept of the grace of God. I think when we use that word grace, we often use it so loosely and cheaply that we often deter its meaning. We, we, also, we often limit its ability and yet in the midst of everything that was happening here, the children of Israel in whom God was leading into this promised land, and then the full city of Jericho, which they estimate to be almost the city of a half a million people. Out of the half a million people that were there, they were under the judgment of God, and God said to the children of Israel, I have given this city into your hands, but... He spared one who was faithful to the limited understanding that she had of him. Covering her window reminds us of those who covered their doorposts with the blood of the Lamb in the Passover that released the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Her too looking forward to that incredible blood that would be shed on our behalf through the person of Jesus Christ we being rescued out of a sea of individuals that the weight of God, the wrath of God weighs upon. And God knows those who are His. 
And Rahab and her family were saved because she went through with what she had promised. Once the spies had left, then she was confronted with the reality that the ribbon needed to be placed upon the window that could indicate to the city of Jericho that she was somehow in some way signaling or helping the spies carry out their objective. But by faith she did so because she believed the promises of God rather than succumbing to the fears of the, of the world. And as a result, she was saved. The writer of Hebrews was writing to these original Jewish Christians and saying to them, keep moving forward for the blood that has separated you, the blood that has been uh, spilt and used to buy and pay for, for you is the blood of the Lamb Himself who has been the promise of this fulfillment and ultimately will save your life for all eternity. And that's why Rahab is so precious to our conversation this morning as we look at the faith in she, that she executed. And again, there's really two parts to this, this verse. Number one, it is the limited understanding that she had of God. That limited understanding is found in the second chapter of the book of Joshua. If you turn there with me, we'll pick it up in verse 9. And we'll see that she acted upon and reiterated the limited knowledge that she had concerning God and his endeavors, his mission, his purposes, and so forth. And as a result, she chose to be faithful to the knowledge of God in which she had. And as a result of that faithfulness, God saved her. In verse 9 of chapter 2 of Joshua, it states and said to the men, that is she, I know that the Lord has given you the land. This is Rahab speaking. And that the fear of you have fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath." The limited knowledge that this individual had, and she was not a scholar of Jericho. She was not a religious individual. She was a prostitute within that social economic culture. The manner in which she made money was determined on the manner in which she allowed her flesh to be used by men. And yet she had enough understanding of who God was to be faithful to him. And know that God was going to complete that which God had promised to complete. And as a result, for the first time, the whole entire city of Jericho was fearful as their hearts melted within them. And that fear led her to action. She knew that the weight of judgment was against the city of Jericho and there was no way to escape but through the God in whom the judgment was proclaimed. And therefore she acted upon that. And as a result, she was spared by God. And not only her, but her entire family. 
This is a complete act of the grace of God from beginning to end. Again, God didn't owe her anything, but she threw herself on the mercy of God. She asked the two ambassadors that she had closest to her, that was the two spies that were in her house. She said, listen, please remember me and the faithfulness and the kindness in which I have shown you, which you find there in Joshua chapter 2. She threw herself on the mercies of God. She knew that she was condemned with everyone else within the city of Jericho. And as a result, she had nowhere to go but to find mercy from the one who had already commended the city, or I should say, commanded the city to be judged. Throughout the Old Testament, God indicates over and over and over again that he loves mercy. That he loves to demonstrate mercy to those who will come to him. And if we will come to him through Christ, we will experience and discover mercy. And that's what God was reflecting on here. That's why he saved her, because he, she threw herself in the only place that she could. She threw herself on the mercy of the one who was judging, the God of Israel. God did not hold the fact that she was a prostitute against her, did, did he? That's the grace of God. She simply cried out for mercy, and God, being the God of mercy, desired to show her mercy. And though she is remembered here in the uh, text in Hebrews as the prostitute Rahab, let me tell you in just a moment, she did not continue as a prostitute after she was saved by the children of Israel and became a faithful Jewish woman. You are going to be very surprised in what happens next. Further testimony to the grace of God. But the little that she had, she believed in. What do you know about God today based upon your reading of the Bible? That being said, now let me ask one further question, if I may. Are you faithful to the knowledge that you have concerning God that He has revealed to you through the Bible? Do you act upon that knowledge each and every day, or you, do you dismiss it, overlook it? Do you even take it into consideration when making a decision do you take the knowledge of the Word of God into consideration before you speak or an action of your hands takes place? Do you take the knowledge of God into consideration and by faith apply it to your circumstances that you are faced with each and every day or do you simply dismiss it and try to deal with what's in front of you on your own by yourself? Rahab could have done that. Rahab could have said, well, you know what? They were successful in all of these other military campaigns, but this is Jericho. And check out these walls that we have. They're not going to be able to catapult over these walls or climb up ladders to scale these walls. They've never, ever come across a fortified city such as Jericho. The limited information that she had concerning God already told her and indicated to her that Jericho was no problem for God. So why is it then 
then when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances that rely, us, rely on us or, or make us rely on the promises of God, rather than by faith we take things into our own hands and we try to fix things, often just making a greater mess out of the thing than there was before. What can God not handle that you are faced with today? What is too big for God? What issue is too complex for God? You may say, well, you have a very simple understanding of faith in God. No, I have a very big understanding of God and very simple understanding of my problems in the wake of His ability. I don't think there's anything too hard for God. I don't think there's anything impossible for God. The only impossibilities, the only limitations that I put on God are often the limitations that I carry into my relationship with God. And when I do that, then I can find Him to my ability rather than allowing Him to execute His. And that's where we get into trouble. That's where we get into difficulty. We serve a big God who can do big and great things. Why not believe Him to do so, right? You know, the children of Israel, they saw him do so many things. And you would think, especially after the Red Sea example, they were so happy about the parting of the Red Sea. It states very clearly in Exodus 14 that at the end that they feared God and believed in him and his servant Moses. And you'd think, this is it. They have now arrived. They can handle everything. They even broke out into a song in Exodus 15. Okay? Okay? But by Exodus 16, they're doubting God once again. By Exodus 17, they're cursing God once again. And we are the same way, right? Where people are people are people. And so often we resemble them uh, day to day in our relationship with God, even though God has shown himself strong so many times, for some reason we believe the next obstacle that we face, oh, this is it. This one is just way too challenging for God. This is it. Oh my goodness, are we in problems. God, you're going to need help from the angels on this one. This one is huge. Peter, John, got to come on. All right, God's going to need you to help lift this one. Really? This is where God just looks at us and laughs. Really? Really? I'll never forget Autumn when she was a little girl. She's here today, so I'll embarrass her. It's father's privilege. She had a toy, and she probably doesn't even remember it. And we put the toy together, and she was playing with the toy. And, um, and in the course of her playing it, with it, it broke. And she brought it to me and said, can you fix it? Now, I'm the one that put it together to begin with. And I said, oh, yeah, honey, I can fix that. And she goes, I don't think you can. It's broke. Oh, I I can fix it. I I put it together. Um, I think we need to ask mom. (laughs) I don't think you can do it. Honey, I put it together. I don't know. And you should have seen her. She was really, uh, I think we need to call someone in, Dad. I think we need to. How often are we like that with God? He put it all together, right? And then we're walking through life and yeah, we, we broke it a little bit and say, oh Lord, I need your help to put it back together again. Okay, but I don't know if you can, Lord. Well, I did the first time. I think we need to call mom. I don't think we can. She completely believed God without wavering. She knew that Jericho was nothing for 
him to overcome. And as a result, she then decided to act upon what she knew. Listen to what one wrote. I like what he said. He said, Rahab believed what she had heard about the God of Israel, that he was the true and living God. And when it was humanly impossible for Israel to conquer Jericho, when Israel had no modern weapons to make war, when there was, a, was not a chance in this world that Israel could be victorious, Rahab believed in, God, in the God of Israel and she acted upon that faith. She believed that the God of Israel would save his people and give them the promised land. Therefore, she saved the lives of the two Israeli spies. That was her faith being executed at that moment in the wake of those circumstances. And as a result, she was spared. In Joshua chapter 6, the invading armies of the Israelites after the seventh day and the shout and the trumpet blow, they, the walls of Jericho fell, they stormed the city, and just as promised, Joshua made it clear that Rahab and all who were in her house were to be spared. And she was rescued and she was saved. And her faith saved not only her life, but the life of those who were in her house with her. She became such a role model of faith that one of the very first books of the New Testament written, the book of James, written to those early Christian, Jewish Christians, those Christians who were newly found in the faith there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then by Acts chapter 8, you find them persecuted and scattered throughout the region. As a result, they were called the dispersa. And James, who then became the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, he was the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James and encouraged his readers that the faith in which they were to have was to be true faith, actual faith. Well, how do you know that you have true or actual faith? That faith manifests itself in the actions in which we conduct ourselves in. Let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 2, and I'd like you to read with me as we make our way down to verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. It's easy to say that we believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. James put it this way, addressing the exact same subject, I believe. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 2, What good is, good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now let me be clear. We believe that... Uh, Salvation is based on uh, grace and faith alone, but that faith needs to be qualified. For we know that the demons and the uh, Satan believe in Jesus. They know of his existence. They know of his identity. They know of uh, his character and so forth, but they're not saved. So it is the faith that we are qualifying here, the type of faith that saves an individual. And he'll make that argument as we go. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and now one of you says to them, now go in peace and be warm and filled, and without giving them things needed for the body, what 
good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so James is saying, if you say you believe something, but you don't act upon that belief, and that belief doesn't uh, govern your actions, then you probably really don't believe it. Does it make sense? I could tell you right now that the building is on fire, and I could tell of which of you believe that by the number of you who get up and run out of the building, right? If some run out of the building, then I can know that they believe that the building's on fire. Those who sit here are testing God and probably won't make it. And they probably didn't believe the in, you know, announcement that we, we made. That's what James is saying here. If your faith doesn't conduct uh, and govern your actions, then the faith is worthless. The belief is worthless because you probably don't truly believe in it. Now think about that for a moment because it is thought-provoking. Does my belief manifest itself in what I do, in how I think, in what I say? That's the faith that he is talking about. If this faith does not have works, it is dead. Now someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says to him, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so what he's saying here is that I will demonstrate my faith in Jesus Christ by that in which I do. That's the faith that individuals are saved by. Faith that changes their minds, changes their hearts, changes the course of their direction in life faith that is acted upon. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. Well, you do well, he says. For even the demons believe and shudder. Do you, not, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Verse 22, I think, clears the question up uh, immensely. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also, look who's mentioned here, Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We can say that we believe something. If we do not act upon what we believe, then the question then is raised, do you actually believe what you say you believe? This is the manner that the Bible says fruit will be displayed in the Christian life. Evidence of your Christian faith should be evident to those around you. Can an individual determine that you are a follower of Jesus Christ simply by looking at the witness of your life? Are you a person of integrity, of high character? Are you a person who abhors lying and is is, uh, moved to honesty and the truth? 
Are you a person who sees the world through the lens of Scripture and sees sin to be sin and righteousness to be righteousness? Do you see this world in the lens of Scripture and therefore know that it is the world that is at enmity with God and therefore, like Rahab, you need to separate yourself from the world and embrace the God in whom you have chosen to follow? This is the story of Rahab. This is the faith that Rahab had that was demonstrated by her simple tying of a scarlet ribbon around the window and then staying within her home when the Israeli army came to invade not only her, but her family members with her. She acted upon the limited knowledge that she had and she acted faithfully upon it. Rahab became a heroine of the Jewish faith. For the very first writer after the biblical writers of that time was one named uh, Clement of Rome. And he even wrote about Rahab and her example. And one wrote of this, he says, the earliest Christian writer outside of the New Testament canon was Clement of Rome. And he recounts the story of Rahab to illustrate the virtues of faith and hospitality and makes her, not, makes her a prophetess to boots. Since the scarlet rope by which she let the spies down from her window on the wall, city wall and by which her house was identified at the capture of the city foreshadowed that through the blood of the Lord all who trust and hope in God shall have redemption and salvation. She became an example. She became a heroine of the Jewish faith. So what happened to Rahab after the Israelite army invaded Jericho, brought it to nothing, led her and her family out? Did they treat her as a captive? Did they enslave her? No, they brought her in and she became a Jewish woman within that culture. She married a man named Salmon, Salmon, A-S-A-L-M-O-N. And through Salmon, she had a child named Boaz, And Boaz is one of the hero characters of the book of Ruth. And when Ruth had absolutely nothing, and she needed to find one who would redeem her place in the society, she curled up next to Boaz, hoping that Boaz would take her as as her redeemer and bring her back into the society in a healthy manner. And Boaz acted upon that and gracefully allowed Ruth to be brought into the Jewish culture and into his family and therefore regain her status within the society. I often wonder if Boaz did that with Ruth because he remembered that his mom at one time was a prostitute. And the person that she fell upon was God. And it was God who clothed her and God who brought her into the fold and God who loved her. And now that same generosity would be uh, shown through Boaz to Ruth. I often wonder about that. But the story doesn't end there. For the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, that through Boaz came King David. And after King David, in Matthew 1.16, the, the finality of the 
genealogy is given. And Jacob, after, and, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom we know Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Through Rahab, through David, came Jesus Christ. For she is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Not only did God redeem her out of that society under the weight of judgment, save her from the destruction that was going to come upon them. He then not only atoned for her and saved her, but he also then adopted her and made her a child of God. And through her, through the lineage of a prostitute, came Jesus Christ. Now, she, of course, no longer was a prostitute after coming into the Jewish faith. That was her old life. No longer would she succumb to that old life. No longer would that be necessary. She became the wife of a prince of Judah, Salmon. Very interesting to me, to say the least. And she was saved. I'd like to close with this, if I may. The remarkable and encouraging message found in Rahab's story is that about God judges impotent sinners but spares those who believe in him. Her type of lifestyle, that of a prostitute, along with all the other evils in that city of Jericho, resulted in God's judgment. Yet Rahab escaped the divine wrath because she was a sinner who believed in the true God. What distinguished her from the other people in Jericho was not a superior morality or a greater number of good deeds, nor was it higher intelligence or a better disposition. It was simply her faith in God. Rahab's faith was fully demonstrated when she risked all to help the two spies from Israel. She undoubtedly would have been killed as a traitor had the king's messengers discovered that she was sheltering the enemy's spies. She entrusted everything to the Lord and proved she was completely committed to him no matter what cost. Rahab, without knowing Jesus' teaching on discipleship, was willing to obey God no matter how difficult the circumstances were. And that's how it should be for all of us who follow Jesus Christ today. Our inward life of faith ought to be reflected in our outward life of faithfulness and good works towards God. Don't ever forget the grace that was shown to the faith of Rahab.